Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. These are their stories. I am your host, Christopher Heaton. Healthcare is a big, ambiguous term that encompasses so much of our attention and our lives and our money. When we speak about healthcare on this show, we mean the interaction between a person and their doctor, nurse, or medical professional. We don't include insurance companies who act as paper shufflers, in our opinion. Insurance companies often label themselves as payers, yet this too is incorrect. The payers are the individual people purchasing plans, the families out there. The payers are the employers purchasing plans to provide to their employees. And the taxpayers are the biggest one funding entitlement programs from the government. Now with this key definition, what if we started questioning the role of insurance companies? Since they aren't really the ones paying insurance bills, what would a world look like without them? Now, in my opinion, insurance is to manage risk. Obviously, that doesn't happen in the health industry, but nevertheless, some form of insurance is usually a very, very good idea to avoid catastrophic financial ruin. Now, let me ask you this. What would it take to make healthcare more transparent, more accessible, and more convenient for everybody? How do we increase equality in healthcare so that insurance plans are not discriminating on who can get care? What would that alternative reality look like if employers no longer pay for benefits and people are able to shop competitively for the best coverage to cover their financial risk? Joining me on today's episode to discuss these questions and more is David Balot, director of the Texas Policy Center. We've confused and conflated health insurance and health care, and they are two different things. One is the relationship with the doctor. The other is the way that we pay for catastrophic care. Car insurance, that functions more like traditional insurance because it doesn't pay for transmission fluid or changing of tires. It's if you're in a wreck, if it's something more catastrophic. I hate to make that comparison because people aren't cars, but the model that we have today in healthcare is more of a prepaid medical care type of situation. It amazes me to think that nearly 20% of the U.S. economy is based on the interaction between a patient and a doctor, yet that interaction is so brief in many cases, usually you know, seven to nine minutes, just a couple of times a year. David, how is this possible? Well, I think you're being generous with that seven to nine minutes. <laughs> you know, people would say that, that it's because of the physician and doctor that healthcare is so expensive. And I, I would say that that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, right. The primary care interaction represents five to seven percent of the total pie of the dollars that are spent. Over 50 percent is, is uh, high intensity specialty care and hospital care, not to mention all the money that goes to the insurance companies that, that we pay in premiums that are never really paid for care. Right. Right. And it's that it's that kind of doctor scapegoating. I think they're easy targets because they don't speak up as much. But then, like you said, you threw some great numbers out there. I mean, how, how have we gotten to this point where people think that physicians and other healthcare professionals, the one actually providing the care, are the culprits into waste and uh, just general headaches of dealing with it? There's a great reason for that. And, and the reason why, and, and it's not necessarily, we're going in the right direction. Let me put it that way. So the basic building block of healthcare is the relationship between doctor and patient. The reason why healthcare has become so expensive, so inefficient, 
so clunky is we have so many middlemen now that have come to the trough between that doctor and patient relationship. They're extracting a lot of value. They're creating a lot of requirements. And, you know, a relationship you used to have with your physician has degenerated into the physician being in the corner of the room looking at a keyboard. So we really don't have that doctor-patient relationship anymore. And it's primarily because of government, insurance, and a load of other middlemen that are doing very, very well financially at the expense of both doctor and patient. Yeah, and that's a great point. Some of the uh, recent big insurance company uh, CEO salaries are published and people making $44 million a year. And it's like, wow, I don't, I don't know any physicians who are saving lives making anything near that. Different type of skill set entirely. But like you said, layering different types of cost and waste into the industry here. When we talk about different types of insurance out there, there's main things like auto, homeowners, even life insurance. How did health insurance become what it is today? And how did it differ from all these other types of insurances that are used in such rare and extreme cases? Well, let's call it what it is. And it's not insurance. It's, it's prepaid medical care. It doesn't function like insurance. By mm-hmm. definition, insurance is the transfer of risk. When people are paying anywhere between $1,200 and $1,800 for premiums and then a range of deductibles anywhere from 5000 to 14000 is the highest I've heard. There's not much risk that you're transferring. You're still absorbing a lot of financial responsibility as an individual and a family. Where we have gone wrong is when you hear a politician and they say the words healthcare, have that trigger in your mind that they're not talking about healthcare. They're talking about health insurance. We have conflated the two terms. We've confused and conflated health insurance and healthcare, and they are two different things. One is the relationship with the doctor. The other is the way that we pay for catastrophic care. So what we have today is not insurance. If you look at car insurance, that functions more like traditional insurance because it doesn't pay for oil changes or transmission fluid or changing of tires. It's if you're in a wreck, if it's something more catastrophic. I hate to make that comparison because people aren't cars, but the, the model that we have today in healthcare is more of a prepaid medical care type of situation. Yeah, and and the parallel comes in when you deal with more health maintenance. So physicals, vaccines, checkups, that type of thing can be seen as getting your car tuned. Or I like the case of comparing it to homeowner insurance, where if you got a leaky toilet, you're not going to file your homeowner's insurance. That's if your house burns down or gets struck by lightning, something huge, catastrophic, so that you don't lose anything. Like you said, a transfer of risk or to prevent complete financial ruin if something did go wrong. Correct. You know, it's really that point, like you said, prepaid health care, because that's an interesting term. And and we've seen that a little bit uh, over the years. So just kind of expand upon what you mean by prepaid health care and how that affects most people. Well, right now we have plans and, and many of them, if not all of them, are mandated by Obamacare to be comprehensive in nature. The best way for me to explain this is to share my own personal situation. Mm-hmm. Now, even though my, my employer offers benefits for my family and myself uh, at a particular amount per month, I choose to go with a medical cost sharing model that provides more catastrophic type of, uh, of coverage. And, and it works for us. It's very similar to the sharing ministries. People invariably ask me, well, David, what do you do for your doctor visits or for imaging or for you know, any other type of service, laboratories? Well, in addition to that cost sharing I also use direct primary care. That is basically a membership model with a primary care physician. 
I pay for an adult, it's 60 to $70 a month and about half of that for each kid. And I've got two children and I have 24 seven access to a doctor. So between the cost sharing and the unlimited access to a direct primary care, I'm paying less than $500 a month. And I feel that I am fully covered for my needs and the needs of my family. Yeah, that's, that's a, I love that point. I'm kind of smiling here behind the microphone because I bet people kind of look at you weird and think, well, you don't have health insurance, but yet you're telling me that you have outstanding health care. You ever get people who say, well, that doesn't make sense because aren't they the same thing? It's a complete paradigm shift in the way that we think about health care. You know, I used to have insurance and I had a $30 copay anytime I had to go get medication. I was floored to realize that if I paid cash, it was less than $10. <laughs> I was paying three. I was paying three times just with my copay alone. Yeah, and then the insurance company would say, "Hey, look at us. We're going to pat ourselves on the back because we're saving you all this money because it was supposed to be a hundred dollars, and we're and you're only paying thirty. When in reality, the cash price was only ten. That's right. I've been saying regularly these days, and people look at me like I'm a little crazy, but I can I can demonstrate. I can show you where it's happening and how it's real. But what I say is this: healthcare is affordable. You just need to know where to look for it. Oh, the, the concept of shopping around, right? Actual intelligent consumerism. Every other aspect of our lives, we do that except for healthcare. And, and we've been told that we can't do it or that we'll get confused or <laughs> that uh, it's too complicated. And, and, and to a degree, some of it is. But that's why it's good to have a physician relationship so they can help be your navigator through that process. Well, if we're all too stupid to figure out healthcare plans, then, you know, you would think something would have to change, but you hear that drumbeat over and over again that, oh, it's far too complex. It's far too complicated. And part of that is, well, yeah, because you guys aren't being faithful and showing over your cards. You're not being transparent with me. It's almost taking advantage of the consumer. And again, there are no other parallels that I can think of in the American economy. No, because I don't believe that there are any. Right. Exactly right. Now, you you mentioned something earlier. You said, uh, you know, in your your past, you've had insurance that was coupled with your employer or previous employer, your your, your, uh, uh, employment situation. In my mind, and I I know you might be sharing this sentiment too, the coupling of healthcare insurance and health coverage with employment is something that, in my opinion, has really perverted that relationship. Oh, absolutely. We did a study on this at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. We basically just give a brief history of how insurance came to be. And um, interestingly enough, the reason why we have employer-sponsored health benefits is because of the wage freeze after World War II. Mm -hmm. And so when employers couldn't compete for, for talent based on compensation, they did it in the way of benefits. And that, that just grew over time. And that's why we're, we're the only country in the world that has uh, benefits tied to employment the way that we do. So when you see all these reports that say that the United States spends more, you know, by far exponential than other developed countries in the world, is that because of insurance being coupled with employment? Yes, and we also have just a great deal of of, of middlemen, as I said, and insurance is just very expensive. We speak too much in this country about access and and getting people covered, and that's not a bad thing. But if you're getting them covered in an expensive industry, you're exacerbating the problem. You're going to create 
a, a problem because it's just not sustainable. So what we need to focus on is not coverage, but affordability. How do we inject more competition so that we drive prices down? I would add transparency to that too. And that comes with, you know, that's a, that's a byproduct of competition uh, many times, but intelligent shopping, uh, knowing prices, being able to shop around and really kind of changing habits. But what would it look like? And, and I'm going to stay on the um, coupling of, of health insurance with employment. What would that look like? And what would have to happen from a policy and from a consumerism standpoint to decouple health insurance from employers? Well, many parts of the ACA would have to be changed or repealed because they, they prohibit real competitive options in the individual market. We need more options. You know, it's really sad to me uh, when you look at what Washington's solutions are, much like what they've done here with COVID, they're looking at uh, one-size-fits-all solutions where they just shut things down or they say, this is, this is how we need to approach it. They do the same thing with healthcare. Healthcare is incredibly local. And as diverse a country as we are with regard to culture and geography and what have you, we need to have it be way more local than it is. Uh, there's, there's a lot of top-down overreach, and it's, it's contributing to many of the problems that we've had. It, like I, I believe I have heard you say in the past, the solution can't be worse than, than the disease. And uh, many of the solutions proposed are, are fraught with unintended consequences that make it worse than the, than the disease itself. Yeah, great point. The solution for Manhattan can't be the same. In no way will that work for the same solution as Main Street USA. Right. And, and, and going back to kind of what you said about one size fits all. So, so you're looking at something, and I know you're very active in, in your home state of Texas. This is something that would have to be on the state level, yet is it difficult, in your opinion, and, and given your career and all the different things that you're involved in, is it difficult to get your voice heard on topics such as this and, and going down through the topics of transparency and, and healthcare pricing or even the broader direct care industry? There are definitely challenges, but I think what I bring to the table is the fact that I've been in the healthcare industry and I've got a lot of stories. Intellectually, giving people data points and bullet points. That's good. People like data and data is important, but uh, there's been a vacuum in the past of being able to touch people's hearts. And we need to be able to share the stories of the, the difficulties that many people throughout Texas and, and the country have gone through because of a lack of transparency, because of a lack of options, because of a lack of competition. And when you put uh, faces and names in front of them, they tend to want to listen a little bit more. I mean, that's since the beginning of time, right? Before humans could even write, we were passing on history and legends via oral word, via, via stories. And, you know, I always laugh when it's like, well, there's data out there and people don't really, their eyes kind of gloss over. As the great Mark Twain said, there's lies, damn lines, and there's statistics. And so <laughs> there's always, a, you know, a way to manipulate these and always some kind of spin and always kind of some, some story on it. But when you see people in tears because they've lost a loved one or have had just a nightmare interaction trying to navigate a confusing health system, that makes it very, very powerful. And people seem to remember those. And you mentioned something, and I love this term, so I got to give you credit for this, but physicians in direct care can be like a medical Sherpa for their patients. Yeah. 
I'm going to give you a chance to expand on that because I love the imagery that that brings. I, I like it too, because, you know, why, why do the, the folks that go to climb mountains hire Sherpas? Because they can navigate uh, the blind corners and the dangerous parts of, of the terrain. Not that uh, you're incapable of being there, but because they can get you through it more efficiently and with more care. Their, their incentive is to make sure that uh, you have good health care. And unfortunately, our, our system today is more sick care oriented. It's all reactive. And direct care uh, really turns that on its head. Right. We tell people uh, a lot when physicians call Freedom HealthWorks and say, hey, tell me a little bit more about this. Um, you know, is this a reality? And I say, well, which one of your billing codes pays you for actually healing one of your patients? And they kind of pause and say, well, I guess we don't get paid. We don't get reimbursed from our insurance company by actually curing somebody, actually keeping somebody healthy. No, it's all based on disease and treatment, yeah, uh, treatment modalities, but never on the experience that the patient has. Exactly, exactly. And so we take the incentive from, like you said, the sick care system, actually put it uh, into a health care, a healthy care system, let's call it there, just the opposite of it. And you incentivize physicians to actually take care of people. I don't know, to me, that seems like a win-win. Am I missing something? No, it really is, but there's so much money. As you said in the very beginning, we're looking at a, a fifth of our GDP that um, goes towards healthcare. That's a lot of money. It and is a lot, yeah. So we're, we're fighting some big players that stand to lose a lot, uh, yeah. and they're not going to give it up easily. That is very, very true. And, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond time for healthcare to, to change and, and update itself. Um, it kind of brings me into my next point here, and – you know, this is the beginning of June 2020, and across the country, we're seeing a lot of protests and, and unfortunately, some rioting on an unprecedented level that we haven't seen for decades now. And, you know, the rallying cries, it seems to be more equality in a modern nation and, and things we really should strive to, to accomplish. But I can't help but think that healthcare access, you know, kind of what we said, how we define that uh, access is, is real care and being able to talk to a physician. But I see that as being a big driver of what some people are considering to be equality. And so really my question for you is, does a more transparent healthcare industry mean greater equality in communities? Transparency is going to help with, with just about everything, but what you're talking about will also require a cultural shift because we have become so accustomed to being reactive. And we need to think not only about health care and health insurance, but there's a third category, and that's our own health. And that's something that we all should be responsible for and, and be cognizant of in terms of you know, what we eat, how we take care of our bodies and such. Hopefully, we do a, a good enough job where the services we get from our, our medical professionals are not as intensive, but that's not always helped, and oftentimes there are genetic factors. But... Um, we have we have big cultural obstacles to to get through, and and that is very different based on uh, your ethnicity, parts of the country you may live in, just lots of different uh, reasons. Which again is is a reason why healthcare must be very local, so that you can uh, consider how to provide those services for your target market. Right, right. Being able to price locally too, because you're not going to have the same prices in the big cities as you do uh, uh, inner cities versus rural areas. Uh, you're not going to be providing the same type of 
you know, on a, on a big scale, same type of prescription services, like you said. So being able to bring in local, letting physicians become really pillars in their community and then letting people have trusting, lasting relationships. And again, having it all for one low price that everybody's going to pay. And they know that it's not just dependent on what type of insurance card you flop down on the desk whenever you walk through the door. That's right. You know, and I find it, I find it humorous. We, we just put out some research on uh, health outcomes in states that expanded Medicaid versus states that didn't. And the argument that we always had was, well, if you've, if you've got a card in your pocket, you're going to be healthier, which I always found baffling. <laughs> but we, act, we actually found the exact opposite. The states uh-huh. that have expanded Medicaid had worse mortality outcomes. Wow. What do the naysayers say about that? There's always got to be somebody willing to take pot shots at that. Well, it's, it's just, it's, it's very silent. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm actually you sure you don't, that. well, I mean, it, that, that's, that's pretty clear. Uh, you know, the arguments are, well, that's more car- correlation than causation. And I think that's, there's some truth to that, but at the same time, there's, there's something that you can learn from that, that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the hotspots for COVID, for instance, all of those states were also Medicaid expansion states. And so here in Texas, people have said, well, we need to expand Medicaid because of COVID. That makes no sense. If it's helped, wouldn't it have helped those states that are considered to be hotspots in this nation? It doesn't seem to be the case at all. Well, that's, that's yeah, that is, uh, that's interesting. And that's a great point. Again, I don't know how you kind of rebut that when you look at what is happening and the precedent that it has built. So Dave, you, you've been working with a lot of different policy groups over the years. I mean, do you feel that certain messages or efforts have worked better than others? No, well, it, it's again, it's always about the patient. I think when we take our eye off of the impact to the patient, to the individual, to the American, that's when we lose. You know, when I'm in debates and people want to make it about uh, how expensive something will be, that's a losing argument. You've got to talk about the impact to the individual, but not necessarily by fixing it by giving them insurance, but fixing it by giving them what they want, which is affordability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we said, you know, just because you have insurance coverage doesn't mean that you have anybody to call when you actually need them. Yeah, absolutely right. And you mentioned earlier that, you know, we're having this healthcare debate uh, at the federal level, but it's really just talking about health insurance reform on a one-size-fits-all type of a package, which you're not going to have anybody who's interested in that or really uh, benefiting from it on a, on a major scale. So uh, one last question for you here as we wrap up, uh, wrap up this episode. And we touched upon this a little bit earlier, but do we as a public, if we want to get involved, do we look to the politicians to fix these issues? Do we look to our doctors to start something on the grassroots level? Or can we look to ourselves as consumers and patients and we can vote with our own dollars to help fix this? Or is it a combination of it? There's going to be a combination, but it'll start by, by looking at that person in the mirror. We as individuals are going to be the ones to make the stand and to point in the direction that is right and politicians will need to follow. Many of them don't understand healthcare and, and many of them are uh, you know, benefiting from, from special interest in middlemen. So they need to hear from their constituents as to what the right thing is, is to do. Consuming healthcare the way that we need to consume healthcare, shopping for options, looking at solutions that make the best sense for you, and then also being active and making your voice be heard, whether it be through an advocacy group or just over the phone or via email to uh, your lawmaker. A lot of ways to get involved, right? So voting obviously helps, uh, writing uh, lawmakers. 
even talking to family members, getting them into practices like we've talked about, direct care practices, uh, cash pay surgery centers, always, uh, always great options for a lot of people and really helping people out there. So David, I appreciate your time today. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Love all the work that you're doing and wish you all the best and uh, we'll continue cheering you guys on. Thank you very much. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, managed by Melissa Turpin, produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Send us your thoughts at info at healthcareamericana.com. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.